What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast. My name is Brian Horning. I'm here with Randy Bryan, Reginald Andre. And today we have Ryan O'Hara joining us from, you're right outside Detroit, right? Yep, right outside Detroit, Dearborn area. He's with Sphinx Cybersecurity. Ryan's going to join our show as a regular. It's not going to be a one-time thing. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks. Um, Ryan, yeah, like we said, Ryan's in in Detroit, and he's somebody that we've known for a long time, the three of us, and we thought he would be a really good addition to the show. He's one of the leading thought people in cybersecurity. He's actually in a group that we belong to, so um, we know that he's going to come in here with some really good insight and really good addition to the show, so I I appreciate you, uh, you know, volunteering your time and helping us um, you know, get the word out around cybersecurity because we're all here with a mission to educate people about what's going on out there. And, you know, we have lots of things going on out there, guys. We got we got um, Russia playing games over in, in, in Europe with uh, Ukraine, uh, with threats of cyber attacks around that. Uh, and we got cyber criminals from all over the world still attacking companies. And we're going to go into that today. We're going to go at a global level and we're going to bring it down to you at the local level too, because you know the four of us we hear all the time from business owners. Oh, I'm I'm too uh, small. There no, I don't have any data that anybody would want. Well, we got a specific example to go through with you today, later on in the show, Absolutely. of a small company that has no data that is paying the price severely for a ransomware attack. So. Um, but first, what we need to get into is the big ones, right? So what's being covered in the news? And the first one that I have is this expediter shipping. And if you guys remember, um, a little, probably about two months ago, we covered the story where there's been, it was known that there was an increase in the number of network access against shipping and transportation companies. And I said, on our show that don't be surprised if in December, January, February, we see more attacks on shipping companies. And we've already seen them in December, but this is a big one. Um, Expeditors has shut down their global operations after a ransomware attack. And we don't know for sure if it's a ransomware attack um, because the company hasn't come out and said exactly what has happened. But um, through the underground, Uh, Bleeping Computer has been able to get information where people are saying, yes, this is a ransomware attack. Uh, And we're kind of just in a wait and see game uh, right now with this company. But let's uh, let's go right to let's go right to Ryan. Ryan, what do you what do you know about this attack and and what are you seeing here? I mean, the thing that jumped out most to me about this one was was how widespread they talk about. I mean, there's there's very limited information at this point, and and, and that's typically on purpose. The lawyers get involved. You got to be careful what what information gets out until you've gone through the whole process. But what jumped out at me was how widespread it was for a large company, uh, which tells me either one of two things: either this was a very coordinated, very targeted attack, uh, and and they got in and they didn't they didn't detonate this until. Uh, they knew that they were going to have such of a widespread impact. Uh, but two, and, and a lesson to take out of this is it, it also could have been that they didn't have the right infrastructure in place to contain this. I mean, it's very important. You know, obviously, we want to protect things in the first place, but you also have to plan for looking out for, for signs that something got past those protections so you can contain it. When it's as widespread as this, you know, that, that containment layer may have, may have failed. Um, especially for small businesses, um, it's, it's so important to make sure you've got those things in place 
So if something does get through, you can contain it to one or two computers as opposed to it causing a, a more widespread impact like that. So that's my biggest question in the aftermath of this. You know, what was it? Was it a targeted attack or did they have some infrastructure issues that they, they need to account for? Yeah, so let's dive into that a little bit. And I'm going to bounce it over to Randy and Andre for kind of that point that Ryan brought up there is the infrastructure like what did they what are what do they have in place and like what are what are things that businesses can do maybe expediter was just completely in the dark about what they should really be doing here we've talked about these kind of tactics these defense tactics that you should have in place uh at your company at this point in the game because we know that they work really well and what what are some of the things that businesses can do so their whole entire global operations doesn't have to get shut down you know due to what they, I guess, I guess where my head's already at is they probably don't have the telemetry to know what got hit. So they shut everything down, right? And we we saw this kind of with uh, Colonial Pipeline when they shut everything down um, because they weren't sure if the operations got hit. So what are some things businesses can do so they don't have to shut everything down? I mean, so we know that probably this, we don't know, but we can assume because there was a big link leak of credentials for shipping and logistic companies. We know that we talked about it on our show, like you already mentioned. So some things they can do, uh, multi-factor authentication, um, you know, that's not the silver bullet, but especially if your, your credentials have been leaked, that's another hurdle that they would have to get over, which they can, but you know, it makes it a little more difficult. Also uh, network segmentation, uh, where if they're in one area, they don't spread to another, um, was talking to a person in charge of infrastructure at a large city. They have one firewall for the entire city. They don't have segmentations between departments. That's insane. I guess the other thing I would say, uh, zero trust, um, define who needs access to what, um, and, uh, and limit it to just those, just those people starting off from, a from a, from a standpoint of nobody gets access to anything. Um, and then just give out access as as needed. Yeah, and even with you know even expanding on the, the zero trust, we're talking about eighteen thousand employees across one hundred countries. Um, last week we were talking about budgeting, and we we're talking about what should it be one percent, two percent, three percent. We we even did a quick math um, scenario of one of the countries. But with the zero trust model, uh, where you basically block applications from running if they're not if they're not on the allowed list so obviously this would have need to be done prior to this incident but um potentially um if they had that type of um system then a lot of this ransomware that we see now where you know files are being executed on, on computers would not even be allowed so if, if you're a business owner your employees should not be able to run an exe file an executable file on your computers Yeah, I mean, you guys make great points there, and I'm just looking at the, you know, this article, and it, it's just frustrating because, you know, they got they have revenues around 10 billion. <clears throat> um, they knew that they were a target, and they definitely have the resources to kind of take care of this stuff. Um, but the bigger problem is, is that we're, you know, we have a lot of, this is this is going to impact the economies around the world with this type of shipping company with this kind of revenue 
They're an important player in the shipping game where supply chains are already tight. And they are, they have now had to shut down completely. They had to shut down their operations completely. Um, and if we remember, and the, and the thing that kind of doesn't leave me feeling good is we look at an attack like Kronos, which is a very large company as well. And it took them months and they're still recovering. You know, their, their attack happened right before the new year in, in 2021. And, they're still dealing with it today. They still have companies and clients of theirs that cannot process payroll. So don't be surprised that in May of 2022, that you're hearing about supply chain disruptions in whatever industry you're in. If your industry relies on expediters to get their goods to your door or your clients, you know, door, um, this is going to be a big problem. Um, and, Unfortunately, as, as you guys pointed out with that Intel 41 report, which I'm, I'm, I can pop that other uh, other screen up that we have, but we covered that on the show before, um, that exact report, and we talked about these companies, these shipping companies are target right now. And there's been a lot of chatter on the dark web about people having access to these types of companies. Um, and it, it shouldn't be any surprise to anybody if they listen to this show that this happened because we were, we said around this time, don't be, don't, don't be surprised. So this could be just the first one, right? And <clears throat> who knows who's behind this, right guys? Like mm -hmm. we want, you know, we're going to stay off of the Ukraine Russia thing for right now, because we really haven't seen any cyber attacks directly as a result of that, that we're aware of, but, you know, just being me and a guy who's, in, you know, very interested in geopolitics and very much an expert on cyber security and cyber attacks. I just worry that if I'm going after something before war, I'm going after uh, countries and and economies supply chain. If you can't get goods to the shores of the United States because we make nothing, that's a huge problem for this country. Thoughts? Great. That's that's a huge point, and you're right. I mean, it's to, it's totally. I mean, if that if if this is a precursor to to war, this is what you would exactly want to go after. Which is why we've been saying. I mean, for a long time on this show. I mean, cybersecurity of your business is a national security issue. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, it's not just you know keeping you from being inconvenienced, but it's also keeping the economy from crashing and keeping goods being able to be delivered etc cetera, etc cetera. right and, and in a way it's it's you know funding terrorism to an extent i mean every time somebody pays that ransom you know they've just got more money to to reinvest and keep trying to do that um i, I think another one of the things specific to to the russian situation is you know, Russia's had a history of having a hard time, you know, whether in intentionally or unintentionally, of containing uh, people operating within their borders in the first place. Do you think they're really going to work that hard to stop those folks, uh, you know, if this this all yeah. goes down? Exactly. So it may, it may not be, you know, a nation state attack that's being sanctioned by them, but they're certainly not going to be going uh, uh, and bending over backwards to try and stop it. I would I would assume while they're rab uh, while they are rattling sabers right now that. You know, Putin is not telling his people to get in line, according to what he told Biden, you know, last summer that he might do, you know, or what Biden asked him to do. Like, 
man, if they're if they're if they're rattling swords and all that kind of stuff, I mean, he's going to probably just not. He's probably going to just let them do whatever they want at this point. Yeah, and it's, it's no, oh, you're and what you're referencing is is the the summit that they had in July, um, and you you think that's kind of done now, right? There's no, you know. Um, you know, I mean, what can you do? I mean, really, at the end of the day, right? If I remember correctly, it was just him saying, "If you attack these things, there's going to be issues," right? Mm-hmm. But he's f- facing a hundred times worse than that right now by going into a country. So you're right; it's off the board just by default because he, they're going to get hit with sanctions for something else, not cyber attacks. It doesn't matter at this point. So, so if I'm a cyber criminal in Russia, I'm kind of looking at this situation and going, these countries have bigger problems than us right now. Let's go make money. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and they don't have they don't have as much of the ability to, to perform sanctions of their own in retaliation to our sanctions. But, you know, if they've got these people operating in their borders, attacking supply chain type, you know, scenarios, that that's in a way their, their way of doing sanctions against other countries at this point. Just yep. looking a blind eye. Well, that's. That literally, ultimately, sanctions are an act of war, and that's literally, you know, a, you know, five hundred years ago, it was, you know, put the navy around the island or around the ports or whatever to keep commerce from happening. This, this is literally no different, um, except it's all digital. You know, it's still the same thing. If it's from a nation state, it's still the same thing. You know, it's it's embar- it's an embargo. Um, so. I think one of the other things too with these with these big attacks that that you know the question that I have is how much of this is that these larger companies kind of got got blindsided in a way um, and had been actively resisting implementing the type of security that they needed because they were large and because it was going to be a difficult and painful process to to go from you know the, the standpoint of where they were to where they need to be and they just slow rolled this. I think that's that's a big issue too. Is is the resistance to, to implementing cybersecurity is difficult because it's a lot of work to do it. Yeah, it is. Um, and people think, you know, we talked about that last week. People think there's always that silver bullet, you know, that mm-hmm. multi-factor authentication tool. And, you know, we're good. We have cybersecurity now because, you know, unfortunately, the way things that are being done with insurance right now is leading people to that kind of wrong conclusion that, you know, all they need is MFA because that's what's all over their insurance application and that's what's being talked about, right? So, so we have, and it's kind of going to lead into what we're going to talk about in a minute here, but I just wanted to quickly touch on this cookware giant Myers, uh, Meyer discloses cyber attack uh, that impacted employees. And the reason we wanted to talk about this one is because, you know, A, it's it kind of highlights that business that's like, hey, we don't have anything. We sell pots and pans, right? And they're, you know, they're going to, it's easy for somebody to trick themselves into saying, we don't have anything that a cyber criminal would want or could use against us, right? We sell pots and pans. Um, yeah, maybe if you shut down our production facility um, and we couldn't make pots and pans, that would hurt us. Um, but we've separated that. Let's say that's the answer here. I don't know if that's the case with Meyer, but hey, we separated our operations from our, you know, the rest of our administrative business. And, you know, if one gets attacked, the other one is going to be fine and we can still make pots and pans. If that was the case, um, which should be the case, uh, if that was the case with Meyer, here we have a great example of data that 
they can use to leverage to get paid in a cyber attack. And that is your employee data. Second largest um, distributor of pots and pans in the world or, or cooking, uh, cooking cookware. And uh, they have thousands of employees, right? Or tens of thousands. I forget the exact number. And they, they basically fell victim to a, a cyber attack back in October. Um, and it took about a month or so for the investigation uh, that wrapped up in December in 2021, but they gained access to personal information belonging to employees of, of Myers and its subsidiaries. Um, and they basically used that information to successfully, um, I guess, deploy this cyber attack. So I'm going to bounce it over to Andre. Andre, what are you thinking about this one? Um, any thoughts from you? Yeah, I have, we here in uh, Miami, we have so many like uh, manufacturing companies and it's very similar to what you're saying, where they're saying, look, all we make is plastic bottles. If someone wants to, you know, get our IP on plastic bottles, go for it. But it's so mm -hmm. important that they also think about their employees. And unfortunately, I already, we've talked about these type of articles so many times. What's going to happen in a couple of months is Myers is going to disclose a little more information and then say, we offered our employees two years of you know, LifeLock or, you know, one of these type of credit monitoring agency things. And then that's it. And then, and then, and then they just leave it alone and life goes on. So it's like, there's, again, uh, there's just no, there's no teeth in these re repercussions as far as like, what's going to happen to Myers or, you know, is there going to be a class action lawsuit or anything like that? And, and until these companies get, I won't use the word sanctioned, but when they finally get like hit, like, you know, kind of hit in the mouth or something like that, that's when they're finally going to say, okay, we got to take this seriously. But until then, they're just going to offer two years of credit monitoring and call it a day. And the problem is, is that I saw this on my YouTube channel where when I did talk, cover the Kronos attack and a lot of employees that worked at companies that were customers of Kronos were coming onto the channel and putting comments saying like, hey, my employer said that we use this company and that we, you know, that basically my information has been exposed and they, they were, a lot of them were expressing that they didn't know what that meant. So like a lot of people aren't in tune to what this means when your information gets stolen by these cyber criminals, like Randy or, or Ryan chime in on this, like what happens to this data once these cyber criminals get this stuff? It's not like they just put it in an Excel file and leave it on their desktop, right? So, Well, kind of. I mean, they put uh, they put about 2% of it out on the dark web, basically as proof of life, you know, that they've got all the data. Um, but then the data, depending on negotiations with the company, the other 98% might be released. We're, we are talking thousands of employees. So hundreds of employees have their data already put out there on the dark web. Um, Conti is the one who is, uh, you know, doing all of this with this particular company. They've already posted it on their uh, hall of shame, if you will. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen with it at this point, but uh, you know, it, it will literally get sold out there. It's very valuable. That information. I, I think the yeah. other thing too here to, to, to keep in mind is, is the, the example that this sets, right? So, so this is a larger company that got this, uh, and, and they can kind of go through these steps, and eventually they'll recover, and people forget about it, right? 
for smaller businesses looking at this as an example, the smaller you are, the less likely you are to recover from something like this. So, so you can't look at these and go, oh, hey, they were in the news and then you know a year later they're fine. As a smaller business, you don't have the, the cash reserves to recover from something like this just by buying a little credit monitoring and pretending it never happened. This could set you out of you know put you out of business overnight or or even over you know six or eight months. So you you have to look at these types of things and you can't compare yourself directly one you know a, a, apples and oranges here. This is you, you got to make sure you're protecting your your investment, your reputation because a small business can't just pretend it never happened and get away with it. Yeah. So and real quick, just if I'm an employee and I don't care who takes this question, but if I'm an employee of a of one of these companies, if I'm an employee of, of Meyer. What could really happen to me? What could happen to my information once it's out there? Like, what what, what should I be concerned with? I mean, your identity can be stolen. Uh, what was the list of information? So they had vaccine everything. records, social security. Yeah, it's pretty much everything. So, I mean, a, a number of things could be done, but at, at a very basic high level, you know, your identity could be stolen. Somebody could get right. So at a minimum, somebody could open a credit card in your name without your knowledge. A store card might not even hit your credit report. Um, you know, that where they could open multiple credit cards, they could go apply for a mortgage, they could misrepresent themselves and go to the doctor, you know, using your information, you know, trying to pretend they're you getting, you know, all we all kinds of scams, they, you know, they can go file for unemployment under your name, we see all these scams happening, based on information that is collected through the dark web, like if you don't think that there's criminals around the world, who are filing unemployment in your state under your name and basically saying, send the money to this bank account because in, in my state, you go file unemployment, you just give them a bank account number. They don't send a check to your house. They put a, they put an amount of money in your bank account direct. It's all wired now. Um, and it's just as easy for somebody to misrepresent themselves and have that money rewired. And employment fraud in the United States, un, I should say unemployment fraud in the United States is a multi-billion dollar problem. And I don't think people realize that. I don't think people realize how much of their tax dollars go to unemployment to for fraudulent purposes or people who stole identities and are using this thing. So if you don't think that this impacts you even when your identity hasn't been stolen, yes, it does, because you're going to pay more in taxes because they can't get their arms around this. And this is a, this is a major problem. And th this is a goldmine of information too. Uh, in a lot of cases, you know, there's only, you're only going to have maybe even a quarter of this type of information. Uh, I was just yep. talking to somebody last week, and uh, you know, it, it was a friend of mine, and they called because they had an issue with their bank, and they were walking me through the situation. I was like, "No, I don't. I don't think your phone got hacked. Have, talk to your bank. It sounds. This sounds to me like a situation where somebody called your bank, impersonating you, and." with a couple small minor pieces of information was able to smooth talk the operator to get them to reset your password. And she called and that's exactly what happened. So it doesn't yeah. take much for these people. They're, they're essentially con men. People think of these types of hacks as like the stuff you see in movies and on TV, but a lot of times it's more psychological con man type stuff that, you know, they just take this information and run with it. Yeah. I mean, I would recommend that you call your bank and see what their password reset process is. And maybe think about doing business with a different bank. If you only need to give them like, you know, certain pieces of information, like maybe your social security number and your birth date and your home address. That, that's probably all on the dark web. I right. guarantee you it is. Right. So. Yeah, that's disturbing. That from this list of stuff, it's disturbing. Mm -hmm. And yep. they could also use this for um, spear phishing attacks. 
um, where 100%. they're targeting you specifically, um, trying to get into, you know, who knows what by targeting you specifically um, using, um, you know, psychological operations. There's so much they can do with this information. I mean, it even says like ethnicity on here, um, COVID vaccination cards. I mean, there's so much on here that they could use for so many you. different things. So it's a little information, information is key. That's that's so much easier than actually hacking into somebody's computer infrastructure is, is taking that information to get what you want. Yeah, I, I did the math. It looks like with 3,500 employees, we're talking about 70 employees have all of this data leaked on the dark web. If I was one of those employees, I would, uh, I would lock my credit report down, lock all my credit credit reports down. Um, I would um, get that credit monitoring. I would really be on a with a watchful eye here because this. I mean, is at this point, everybody should disturbing. just have their credit file locked. Yep. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just it, we are. We are well past the days where that was an option. And when we always use that seatbelt reference, right? You know, seatbelts used to be an option back in the day. And I think it's pretty much a, a necessity at this point. Your car beeps the shit out of you, you know, as you're driving down the road. <laughs> um, you know, I do know some people that just click it and sit on top of the seatbelt, but that's another story. <laughs> we're, um, we're to a point where we need to implement zero trust in our entire lives, not just our. <laughs> right. And like, if you have your credit monitor, if you have your credit unlocked, in today's day and age and your credit gets stolen, you know, that's kind of on you at this point because they're, they're like, I know my social security. I know pretty much everything that I would not want on the dark web about me is on the dark web. Mm -hmm. Right. Through no fault of my own because I gave it to another company and that company got hacked and that's how it goes down. So, all right. So good, good, uh, good show so far, guys. I mean, we're really hitting on all the important topics and reasons that people need to be aware of this stuff, but let's, let's dive into, um, Ryan offered up for, uh, coming on Joe. He offered to kind of talk us through and I can talk about one, uh, that I had a similar experience with, um, back in the early summer of 2021. Um, but Ryan recently helped a small, um, retail, mom and pop, you know, mm -hmm. another one of like, I'm too small. Why would they want to hit me? Why would they, why would they want to, you know, go after me? I don't have anything. I don't have any money. I don't have any data. Um, small mom and pop retail store, a couple locations, um, revenues, what a million less high, low, probably low. Yeah. Lower, lower than a million. Mm -hmm. So under a million dollars in revenue, your typical, you know, mom and pop, probably bootstrapping the business, probably yep. Living paycheck to paycheck almost, um, you know, trying to build that business and do that American dream. And they were a victim of a, a ransomware attack. Um, so I'll let Ryan kind of fill us in on the rest of the details and kind of tell us as much as he's willing to tell us on the show. Mm -hmm. um, but our goal here is, is to talk about this and bring it to bring it to light so small business owners understand they are a target. Yep. So th this was this was your stereotypical. I'm too small. We don't have anything. You know that type of business. And and you know it, it's hard to argue with that sometimes. You know you, we we do these assessments and we look to see what what somebody's risk is. And and some businesses we're just not going to find a whole lot of uh, personal identifiable information that that we can quantify as, as legit risk. But 
the, the thing that they need that, that, that this business quickly realized was, was downtime is a risk. Being able to recover from this is a risk. Like the things that you have to do in order to fulfill you know, legal obligations and when, when you're doing this kind of thing as a business uh, is, is a risk and, and things that you have to look at. So um, it was, a, like I said, a small retail shop. Um, they had uh, 11 computers, in, in, including a server that runs their retail uh, POS system. Um, and they they got ransomware, and it turned out uh, it was uh, an, an issue where they had uh, a port open that they weren't even using anymore. So it kind of kind of reminded me of the whole VPN thing from the the Colonial Pipeline hack. It was a deprecated service that they weren't even using anymore that they completely forgot about, um, left them wide open and exposed to the internet. Uh, as, as best that we've been able to tell with the limited information that we had, uh, the attacker had been in there since uh, at least mid-December. Um, and I think that was another important point was because they didn't have any, not only did they not have any protection infrastructure or adequate protection infrastructure, they didn't have anything in there that was kind of keeping an eye on things either. So it made it even more difficult and more expensive from a, a recovery and forensics point of view uh, to find the information that, that we needed to find in order to, to see how they got in, to, to, to uh, determine what type of uh, data that they had. Um, and why is that important? Because the insurance company wants to know that. They, they need to know what that, that risk was and that exposure was as well. The FBI wants to know that type of thing. So, you know, this company, had no IT, they had no no infrastructure, um, and you know we see this a lot where you know we talk to a new company or a new prospect about you know what they need to do in order to protect themselves, and they will slow roll the process because they don't want to spend the money to, to do it. They love it in, in concept and idea, but they don't want to spend the money to do it. Um, so it may take them two, four, six weeks to make a decision. Just to contrast that, so in this scenario on a, a late Friday afternoon, um, this company who, who was still able to transact business, by the way, they weren't shut down completely. They had to run manual. Um, they were still willing to sign a, a statement of work to pay out you know, between 30 and 40 grand to get recovered as quickly as possible. So that... That to me is a baseline minimum as a small business. You know, even if you don't have anything uh, that's quote unquote risky like PII, that's what it's going to cost to get you recovered in a, in a reasonable amount of time and 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 you know able to do stuff. And, and again, even though they were still able to transact business, it was it was a no brainer for them to to spend that amount of money to get themselves back up and running. And I, I even asked, you know, one of the owners uh, uh, about halfway through the process, you know, once once things had calmed down, we had things kind of, you know, uh, on a path to getting them back up and running. I said, hey, you know, if I if I were to, to have been in here six months ago uh, talking to you about this, you know, what would your reaction have been to me trying to talk to you about cybersecurity? And he, he flat out said, I would have said you were crazy. There's no reason we need anything like that. Mm -hmm. This is this is a minimum barrier of entry, in my opinion, now for for businesses. So uh, I, I just think it's really interesting that you have that stereotypical example and, and just the contrast between what they usually say versus what actually happens when when it hits the fan. Yeah. So a couple of things mm -hmm. I want to kind of hit on there with you, um, if you can answer them. Um, so this business has how many employees? Uh, the full employee, so it, being a retail shop, they've got a lot of, uh, like part-time and temporary employees. So they've got some churn. Um, so I would say that particular location probably has 15 to 18 total employees. Right. And some are part-time. So yep. at the end of the day, somewhere between eight and 10, you know. Yeah. So they've got like three to four principals and then a bunch of part-time, uh, yeah. Okay. And then, um, the amount that you told us that they paid for um, that statement of work for mm -hmm. you to initiate, you know, that 
mm-hmm. remediation project. Has it exceeded that budget? Yeah, we've gone over a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Because the, the, that was the other part of the problem was it, it wasn't just the cybersecurity or, or security infrastructure that they lacked. They, they had machines that were 10 years old. Uh, the server that was impacted was already in the process of failing before the, the attack even occurred. So you know, one, once we pulled the hard drives for forensics and then popped new ones in, hoping to, to fire that up and get them up even faster, the machine wouldn't even reboot. You couldn't even get into the uh, uh, the BIOS for it, not to get too technical. But right. um, you know, so, so we had to scramble and find server hardware, uh, you know, on Super Bowl weekend uh, to to try and get them up and running quickly. So yeah, there was there was a lot of unforeseen. Yeah, you know, it reminded me a lot of you know you, you work on a house and you do a bathroom project, right? Always count on finding at least one or two things that you're not prepared for, and that was you know, exactly what the situation was all about. So that's. Uh... I'm gonna I'm gonna let Randy and and uh, Andre ask some questions here in a second. But one thing I wanted to kind of hear from you is this: do do they see the value now? Do they uh, like? Is this something where they're just gonna walk away from this situation? Like, hey, we got punched in the face, but mm-hmm. we're still not gonna do what what Ryan or what people suggest us to do. We're gonna I- continue to kind of play Russian roulette, or yeah. you know, with with our IT. They are going to do something. Um, okay. It remains to be seen to the extent to what they're going to do. So right now in that process, you know, we've, we've got them uh, you know, back up and running and operational. Um, and we are now in the process of kind of debriefing the situation, preparing the report of the forensics, uh, deciding what, uh, what, that, uh, what information goes to the, in, the insurance company and then to see what the insurance company comes back with. Um, so I think a lot of this is going to, uh, as far as their reaction to it, is going to depend on what the insurance company says. Um, you know, if the insurance company says, you know, you didn't have these, these, you know, this thing, this thing, and this thing, so we're not paying out or, uh, you know, based on your policy, you know, we're going to pay out, but in order to continue doing business with us, you need this, this, and this, um, I think that's going to be a big piece of it. Um, the way I, if, you know, if I were to guess at this point, the way I see it is it's going to go one of two ways. They're either going to go with our full recommendations, uh, which I, I think would be obviously the smart move, um, or um, they're going to go with something in between. I mean, they're not going to roll the way that they, they did before for, for certain, um, but, you know, being a small retail shop, um, you know, that that's where it comes into, uh, you know, where they, they are they going to see the full value and, and really learn this lesson? Or are they going to look at that, that dollar amount and start trying to logic themselves out of it? Like a lot of prospects who haven't gone through this. Too. And yeah. so that, that's going to be the interesting piece is, is where they're yeah, my, in my it. experience, the guys that replace their servers, uh, guys, just so everybody has perspective life cycle on most servers is somewhere between four and seven, maybe eight years, depending on what you buy and how good the initial equipment is. And then if you're extending the warranties, um, you know, because you run into these problems, right? These manufacturers don't make the same equipment for very long. Most, most chips are, are, are every quarter. It's something new. Most hard drives, you're probably a year, if that, where they're, it's different. It's, it's not being manufactured anymore. So what happens is, is the market then, you know, the secondary market buys up all these components and they keep them on the shelf for the day that your server crashes. And they know there's, you know, X amount of these servers out here and they have the equipment to replace it. Um, you know, typically the way you really want to run your business, just so you know how it should look, your server should always be under some kind of an agreement for the manufacturer to come out and fix that thing should something happen. When you go outside of that warranty, now you're playing Russian roulette with parts availability, 
Um, you know, you have a server crash, you may think in the back of your head, well, I got an IT guy, he can just come out here and fix it. Well, if you can't get the parts, you're not fixing it. And now you're talking about a really expensive purchase of a new server and hopefully a server migration if you if you can. So I, I would argue for workstations as well, not just servers. I would do the same thing. Any, any equipment, right? Yep. Firewalls, you know, your firewall dies. What if you, right now there's a firewall shortage, just so everybody knows. There's a massive firewall and switch shortage. I can't get, I've ordered, I order two firewalls and switches every month just so I have them and they're in my office in case somebody needs one. If I sell one or if somebody dies, if they die, I I can't go to a customer and say, hey, there's a supply chain shortage and you're not going to get a new firewall for for two months. A lot you of know. them aren't even giving estimates right now of, of how long. Right. right. So, you know, you know, we're smart enough to make investments and changes in how we buy things in our business, recognizing that we don't want to have a problem with a customer one day who's like, we don't have a firewall. Right. We, you know, and we either got to plug directly in their cable modem with no security or they're down. They're not operating. Right. So um, I'm going to throw it to you guys now. Randy, Reginald. Yeah, I had a question, Ryan. So talk about the remediation because uh, being retail, they, they continue to need to operate, but then their systems were down. And obviously you don't want to just, um, you may not want to just do a wipe and reload on their operating system if you're trying to determine how they got in. So if you can talk about that and how long were they down, how long um, did it take them to come back up? Absolutely. So yeah, there's there's a forensics process to it. Um, there there was a little bit of a hiccup as well because uh, they actually discovered the the uh, that the data had been encrypted on several of the machines uh, on Thursday morning, and then because they had no IT, no plan, no no idea of what they needed to do, it was a good 36 hours uh, before they, they even were able to reach out and, and contact somebody. Um, so they they had gotten some bad advice in between there. Um, there was a couple machines that. Uh, at the time were not impacted and, and they got the, the, the bad advice of, uh, you know, if, if they haven't been hit yet, reload them or, you know, do a, a Windows reset on them right away, which I, I'm not sure what the logic was there, but uh, they did that. So we had a couple machines that maybe had some valuable data uh, about this particular piece of ransomware uh, that hadn't detonated yet. And, and you know, we, we lost that because they did that. Um, but uh, so, so we got the, the, the tools on the machines because they had no tools on them whatsoever and started the data collection um, uh, on, uh, so we had seven machines that were left, um, uh, including the server at that point, um, ran the data collection. Um, and then we weren't able to really start getting them into the process of getting back up and running until uh, uh, Monday afternoon. So we okay. had the, their infrastructure back up by Monday evening uh, with, you know, but it was basically a clean slate, you know, fresh server with a, with a fresh load of windows on it. Uh, and then that fresh ma our machines, we had to replace some of the machines as well because of their age, um, but with, with fresh loads of windows on it. So, and, and then at that point, you know, we have them up and running, but then they still have to work with their their POS vendor to get that software back up and running, um, uh, which they they also didn't have backups of that, so they were starting fresh there. But oh, wow. that was that was a really good response time. So you know, there, there, there's other providers out there you know that maybe don't specialize in, in incident response. You know, they they could have been down you know a week or more. Um, you know, have they had they made the wrong choice in vendors as well? But yeah, it's, it's really important. You can't just go in and start reloading stuff. You know, there is that forensics piece that you need to have because not having that, you know, when you go to make that claim with the insurance, you know, that's just another reason you might you might not get that claim. Yep. So was there a discussion um, about whether or not to pay the ransomware or? 
Yep, you, so can, you, can you kind of talk talk a little bit about that? Because that so would be interesting. Right, right off the bat, like you know, this was a, a nice situation where they they had already made the decision uh, essentially at the beginning, uh, you know, from the very first conversation that that they were inclined not to pay the ransom regardless, um, just out of principle. Um, so, so we had the ransom note, um, and then basically the way that these things work is they give you the uh, the, the the means to go in and find out what the ransom is. Um, it was the recommendation at that time that we hold off on that um, because as soon as you do that, then that that triggers a chain of events where they know that they've got somebody on the hook, uh, and, and a bunch of different you know things can happen because of that. Uh, so we held off on that, and then through through the, the forensics and the research that we did, we were able to find out, you know, get a good idea of who the attacker was, uh, the, the group that was responsible uh, for this particular piece of ransomware, um, and then go through and, and look at what their, their history was as far as, you know, do they, do they give you decryption keys if you even pay the ransom? This one was interesting because, you know, while some of these have really good response rates and customer service departments, the whole thing, um, this particular one, their history was not very good. So they, they had a lot of history of, you know, you pay the ransom that they initially demand, and then their response is, oh, hey, that was pretty easy, huh? Here's what you need to pay for real in order to get it back. So um, because of that response, it was our recommendation at that point, you know, we didn't even end up looking at the ransom note. Um, you know, they, they knew that they didn't have backups. Um, you know, the, the, the server was old in the first place. At, at that point, it was just a matter of, of pushing forward. But that, that's another important piece of the forensics is to figure out what you're dealing with and, and see if that ransom is even an option. Because in this case, had they decided to pay the ransom, it, it was still very likely that they would have just paid out a bunch of money to get nothing in return. What was the name of the ransomware? Uh, Marlock. Marlock. Oh, wow. What? Is that a, is that also a group? Is that is that I've never heard of that one. Is that just a ransomware? Um, or just, I think part of the problem is is is, is it's sort of a group, but sort of not. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit disjointed. So you don't know what right. yet. And I think like that's why I brought that up because I knew who you were going to say because we talked about it. And like you hear about Conti, you hear about these big organized groups, but there's a lot more of these little groups, like fractions of people that work together in the dark web and things like that, where they're not real big name groups. And I think that collectively all these little kind of smaller groups are doing more damage to the SMB market. Mm -hmm. Like the really good put together groups are the ones who are attacking the major companies and getting major payouts. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you got these little groups, you know, like Marlock that are wreaking havoc on small businesses that think like why they, they wouldn't come after me. You're right. Lockbit probably wouldn't come after you. Black matter probably wouldn't come after you. Um, you know, a small business, but these guys will. There's um, so many of those smaller ones. And, and, and that's, that's the misconception that these smaller ones, they're not targeting anybody. They're, right. they're, they're going out and they're, they're net fishing, right? They're, they're throwing out a huge net to see yep. what low hanging fruit they can bring in. And that's what they do it. So, and there's, this may not even know who, you're, who they're dealing with when they attack. And like, I, I know where most of these groups are hanging out and just to give people some awareness, like there's a lot of guys over in India that are, that are deploying ransomware on home computers and locking up pictures and iTunes files and things like that and making you pay 500 bucks, a thousand bucks to get that back. That's still a thing too. Mm -hmm. It's still happening. So you know, just have have that. So, uh, Andre, I saw you put your hand up. You have a question? Oh no, no, just block. No, I was just saying, like he was saying with the net, and we do got have a, a comment. Anybody well. else have any questions for Ryan? We do have one question from uh, the audience that I want to throw up. 
but I don't want to do that until we're done. We're good. All right. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Um, one last question before we wrap up the show here from Graves, Brianna, how do you find out if somebody's using your information to collect unemployment? Um, you guys got any thoughts on this? I know a couple of ways, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first. I don't know of a direct way other than your employer, your employer or former employer, just letting you know. Right. Um, That's one way. Because we get these kind of things sometimes. Even We even got one last year for an existing employee. Right. Um, and then you just need to let the employee know, hey, your stuff's been leaked on the dark web. You need to go lock your credit files. You need to go probably get credit monitoring um, because they're using your information to try to collect unemployment. So. Right. Right. And then the other thing that I know uh, is that you can – reach out to the Department of Labor, at least here in New Jersey, you can to find out if somebody is collecting unemployment in your name. Um, that would be the other way, but I think the employer would be the one to get tipped off first, right? You're going to get that notice. And if you're still employed with that company, there's probably going to be a conversation with HR or, you know, the business owner, depending on how big the company is. And, you know, why are, why are you filing for unemployment when you have a job here? Um, I know I've had to have those conversations, but they weren't because a criminal was taken. It was because the employee was trying to scam scam the state and still work at my company. And that didn't go over well. So, And even if they don't work there any longer, most employers are going to really investigate that that claim in the, in the first place. I, I think it's yeah. also going to be something where, you know, this is becoming so common that, that the processes uh, are going to have to change where the, you know, the, the governments are going to have to do some more fact checking to, to validate these. Yeah, I, I have a huge issue. Like in here in the state of New Jersey, and I'm sure this is like this in a lot of states, you can literally file, right? And it might take them three weeks to even start looking into whether you qualify or not. In the meantime, they're paying you next week after you file, right? Because mm -hmm. the idea here is, is that if you don't qualify, they're just going to take the money back out of the bank account. But what happens when that money's spent and there's zero dollars in the bank account, right? You know, they will still take the money and your account will be overdrawn um, and it'll cause all kinds of other issues. But at the end of the day, you know, that's that's how it works here in New Jersey. And it drives me crazy as a business owner to know that people can just walk in unemployment and then before they go through their due process of whether they deserve that or not, um, you know, they, they're getting paid. And it's just, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, okay, let's make sure this, this person actually qualifies and should get it. And then we'll pay them. Like, yeah, you might not get any money for three weeks or a month while we go through the process. Okay. So I think most people should take some personal responsibility and plan for that. If I lose my job, do I have a month worth of salary so I can live, you know? Instead, we live in this world where the government's like, here, just, you know, here, we got to give you the money quick, you know, and, and that's every, nobody should be happy with that. So anything else you guys want to add? No. <laughs> we we covered right. a lot of territory today. Yeah, we, we always do. So, all right. So hope that answered your question, uh, Grace, Brianna. Thanks for the comment and thanks for supporting the show. And uh, like Brianna, could you guys support the show for us? I'm going to wrap it up with that share out the show. We record this on Facebook live. You can share that out. You can go to iTunes and just grab the link to our iTunes. We're on audible. We're on Google podcasts. We're on anywhere you can find podcasts. Quite frankly, we're on, we actually got an email from Amazon music. We're on Amazon music now. Um, so you can find us pretty much anywhere and you can grab that link and you can hop over your social media and share the show. That's the only fee that we ask. We come on here and we give our time to educate you, make you more aware 
um, because I don't think anybody's covering this topic like we are. Um, and you can learn a lot from what we're what we're teaching and what we're talking about on this show. So please share it out to your friends and family. Help us grow the show. You guys do a great job with that. And we thank you. And we'll continue to keep bringing you this content and keep bringing more people on and growing the show with more hosts and more guests. Um, we do have some guests lined up for 2021 and start bringing on as well. So we look forward to all that. So you got something, Andre? You're saying bye? No, I'll say 2022. 2022. Oh, oh it's 2022. Today yeah. is actually 2-22-22. Oh. oh, Ryan just left us. Ryan's like, I got to go. 2-22 <laughs> today, it'll be 2-22 on 2-22-22. And it's Tuesday. Uh, thanks, Randy. <laughs> you man. Hey, we say we start off the show with that song that says we're going to tell you something new. Yeah. So, that's right. Boom. <laughs> All right. All right. All right, everyone. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks for joining us. All right.